Amen. Hi, everyone. Yeah, we were just in worship now trying to decide what to actually do because it felt like the Lord was going in a totally different direction than the message I had prepared this week. And um, yeah, just so cool. We were wrestling with, should I change my message, preach about something else? We were just sort of landing with, no, stick to your message. And then Cara came forward with the prophetic word, basically confirming exactly what, I, what I'm preaching tonight. It's really cool. So um, it feels like God was definitely doing something, definitely, during worship. And I, I agree with James. Don't move on from that. But let's even see how God then transitions it into this word and how he wants to maybe keep building um, in our lives uh, from this point on. So um, do we have a slide? Uh, this will make sense a bit later, but I... There's a bunch of visitors apparently tonight. It's, it's becoming increasingly difficult for me to know who the visitors are. All I look for is the awkward people, basically, now. <laughs> then I know that those are the visitors, or people with a little blue form in their hands, that I know this is your first time here. Um, but it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult, so I don't know how many of you actually know me and how many don't. I'm one of the elders here, and, um, and yeah, it's just been amazing seeing God working here, and uh, for those of you who don't know me, some of you would, um, but I've basically got my phone on loud at the moment because uh, our little third baby is due in about three or four days. So, it, it, yeah, it could, it could happen any moment. My wife has been telling me yesterday and today, she's like, Leonard, I feel like maybe, <laughs> maybe it's on its way. So if I charge out, then Andrew will finish my preach. Okay, I'll leave my notes here. <laughs> And then you will take it. But, you know, just if you're a parent, uh, there's something of a, of a deep love that you experience for a child, definitely. Henry and them are going to experience that as well. Their child is coming in September. We've got other parents here. <laughs> Victor and Lorinda, and there might be some other parents. I know Matt is a, is a, is a dad as well. So there's a couple of, of parents here. And I, just, I, was, I was thinking in the worship, before I get to what I'm preaching about today, which is the temple, and specifically the story of Jesus going into the temple and turning over the tables, and I want to look at the temple and how that applies to us today. We'll get there in a moment. So I was just thinking, that was almost a weird way for Jesus to act. Those of you who know the story. Jesus, in the pictures we see of him, is this meek and mild guy with a light beard, beautiful complexion, flowy hair which is probably not at all what he looked like, probably not at all. But, but then we, we read this story, which we'll read in a moment, where Jesus comes and there's actually a righteous anger that we see, where he comes into a situation and he does something that almost seems opposite to what we've learned of Jesus. To, it, seems it's, it is loving, but it doesn't seem loving in this moment, what Jesus did. And we're going to read that, those of you who don't know the story. And I was just in worship thinking about that, and I thought, how, how does this... How do I sort of compute Jesus almost going, it's not out of character, but almost going out of character and having this righteous anger and acting in the way that we're going to read about? And I thought about my, my girls, and I thought, you know, one day there's going to be a day where I need to hand them over to another man. Bless that guy's soul. <laughs> it's going to be incredibly difficult for me. All three of my girls I'm trusting will... They, they're beautiful little girls. We're going to raise them to say, donkey and us a belief, so they're going to, husband is going to want them, definitely. <laughs> we'll raise them well. <laughs> but there's going to come a time, but I just thought, you know, that's going to be really difficult for me, and, and my character will be to want to love that person, because he needs to be my family, but let me tell you, I'm going to give him a stark warning. 
just think because I've because they've grown up before my eyes, because I, I've, I've got, I've got a, a purpose in my mind for them, they've got destiny, I've, I, I know what their lives are supposed to be, if a guy comes in and he comes with the wrong motives or, or he does something wrong to my girls, and you guys are also going to feel like this, there's going to be righteous anger in me in which I'm going to act the opposite of what I maybe normally act, but it's not going to be sin, it's just going to be an anger that is from God because you are not supposed to do this. This was not what their lives were intended to be. Some of you can agree with me, eh? There's, like, you'll tell him that there's a gun somewhere and you'll make sure that that guy is like, uh, sticks, to, sticks to, um, to what you ask him to do. So we get to the story in the New Testament and it's the story of Jesus going into the temple. Now, the temple, we're going to look at it in more detail. I want to give you context to what the temple actually was in the Old Testament because for over a thousand years, the temple, which I'll explain, was central to the Jews and the way that they worshipped and the way in which they approached God. It was God's way of putting himself in the center of the Jewish community. And there was a specific purpose for the temple. It was to be a place of worship. It was a place, it was to be a place that centralized everyone's lives around God. It was supposed to be focused on the living God in the midst of the people. We'll look at it, what it was now. But then through corruption and through the Jews, aka look at Christians and the way that we live sometimes, started corrupting the things of God and the intention of God, and they started doing something that was not what he intended it to be. They started making money at the temple courts. They started selling off things and, and being hungry for gain because people would bring their offerings there. And Jesus went in and he said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. There's anger. This is righteous anger. He was, he was serious. This was not like meek and mild Jesus. This was Jesus who was angry. We're going to read it in a moment. And he flips over the tables. Righteous anger, because that is not the intention. And then Jesus says something extremely profound that to us today, we read it, we glance over it, and we think, oh, that's interesting. But we don't know the full implication of what Jesus was saying there. And I wanted tonight to look at the full implication, the fuller implication of what Jesus actually meant here. Because sometimes we read something in Scripture, and for us it's just like, uh. But for them, this was earth-shattering because he was speaking about the temple, and they had a long history of what it meant, what the temple meant. We don't know what the temple means. So I'm hoping that this Scripture can mean more for us tonight. So he goes, Jesus comes, he makes a whip, and he goes in, and he whips the people, literally, he, start, he hits his, it doesn't whip the people, he whips the ground where the people are, and he chases them out, and he starts flipping over tables, Jesus, at the temple, which was their place of worship. And then John 2, verse 19 to 22, says the following, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Now, if you were a Jew then, this would have been sacrilegious, this would have been like, how can anyone say this? And we're going to look at it because this temple is, it was God's idea. And now Jesus is saying it can be broken down and I will raise it up in three days. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So notice here, we're going to get back to this. Jesus is saying, yes, there's this temple that the Jews used. But the temple is going to be destroyed. The replacement of this temple, which I want to speak about, is going to be Jesus' body, is the new temple. 
And then later we'll see that the church is also the temple. When therefore he was raised from the dead, Jesus now, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is a profound moment that Jesus is, is doing here. He's coming into the Jewish way of thinking. He's coming into a concept that was central to their Christianity or to their Jewianity, Judaism, right? <laughs> it was central. And he comes into that place and he actually challenges their way of thinking and he says, I'm going to replace this. Now, to fully understand the gravity of what Jesus said, we need to f more fully understand what the temple actually was. So I'm going to go through that a little bit for you and, and just explain what this temple was. So in Exodus 25 verse 8, we read the following. This is God speaking. This is just a little bit after my previous Exodus scripture, but this one is better. <laughs> Sorry about that one. It was, it was not, not good. Um, he says, Gee, God speaks to his people. Now, you all know that God cannot be contained in a building. I mean, like this is just a building. It can break down. It can burn to the ground. But God is not going to be burned down. God is not going to be broken down. He cannot be contained in a building. The Bible says the earth is God's footstool. So, like, God is much bigger than a building, and, and He doesn't have to reside in a building. He resides everywhere. The what we learn in the Bible is God is um, omnipresent and omniscient. He's everywhere, and He knows everything. God is bigger than our understanding, okay? But then God, in His infinite wisdom, says that although I cannot be contained in a building, for your sake, I want you to make me a building. I want you to make me ours. We're going to look at the implication of that and why God would do that. In Exodus 25, verse 8, it says, he says to the, it says to the people, Moses says, it's a word from God, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Now, that word sanctuary is the word tabernacle, and tabernacle means tent, basically. So God was saying, this, and this was in the time when the Jews were in the desert, right? They came out of Egypt. God delivered them from the world, from Egypt, took them towards the promised land um, through Moses. And now while they're in the desert, God says, okay, make me a tent. And God wants to go camping with them, basically. <laughs> I'm probably glamping a bit, but God wants to go glamping with them, basically. They, can, they camping is glamping. <laughs> and he says, make me a tent. And he's very specific about how he wants this tent. There was basically a, 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 very, a very high wall made of white linen or uh, white material right around it. There were specific measurements and specifications of how this needed to be. And that is where the presence of God resided. So as they went through the desert and there was this pillar of fire by night and pillar of cloud, cloud by day that the people followed, it would stop and it would hover over this place that resembled the presence of God for the people. And it's really interesting if you look, but the Israelites, basically, they followed this cloud throughout the desert for 40 years. They followed it. And then the, the, the cloud would stop. You don't know. It could be a day. It could be four years. You just have no clue. And where you stop, the Levites, the, the, the priests of God, would come and they would set up this tent. It would be meticulous in the way that they do it. Only the Levites could touch it. It was very specific in the way that it was done. And then the 12 tribes of Israel were divided, three tribes to the north of it, three tribes to the south, three to the west, three to the east. 
And everyone's tents would look at the tent of God. So in the morning when you would wake up, the first thing you would see when you take your manna from the ground, your little bit of manna for breakfast and spread it on your quail toast, because that's the other thing they had there. <laughs> when you woke up, the first thing you saw was the presence of God in the cloud and the house of God, the tent of God that he asked to set up. You were confronted with God and his ways every single day when you woke up. It was central to their way of life. They couldn't escape it. God wanted it to be that way. And he said that he resided in it. So in this thing, uh, in this tent, basically there were three compartments. I'm not going to go into too much detail. But there was basically an outer compartment where you would come and you bring your sacrifice, your offering. Animals in those times that you would offer up to God. Then there was a, a tent in the middle of this um, basically encampment. And in the middle, there was a tent with two compartments. There was the holy place with a few pieces of furniture that resembled different things. And the priest could go in there. And then there was the most, the holy, the holy of holies that was called. And in the holies of holies, holy of holies, there was something called the Ark of the Covenant that resembled the presence of God. And only the high priest could go in there once a year. And the story goes, we don't read this in the Bible, but extra biblical resources that as the high priest went in once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, they would put a, um, the day of atonement, they would put a, a rope around his leg with a bell so that he would go in because if he was found not to be holy and he would die in God's presence, they would be able to pull him out. That's how the story goes. It was the holy place of God. So it resembled the presence of God, but it was God's idea. God said, I want you to live with me at the center. Sounds like God for us today, eh? So that was the tabernacle for 40 years. Uh, John 1 verse 14 says, this is speaking about Jesus now, it's interesting. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt among us is the word tabernacled. This is just to give you a glimpse. This is speaking about Jesus now. It says in the same way that that tabernacle was in the desert, now Jesus is there and Jesus tabernacles amongst us. He puts his life in the center of our lives so that we can build our lives around Jesus. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of God from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So then the people of God go into the promised land, and now the tent is null and void because you don't, you don't need the tent anymore. What do you do? And then what they did is they, they built a temple, the word that we're looking at, the temple that Jesus was speaking about. And they built two temples. The first one is the first temple, or Solomon's temple. It was built in 1966 before Christ and uh, took a bunch of years to build. It took a very long time. It was meticulous. And it was destroyed about 400 years later. Every Jew centered their lives around this. If you stayed in the surrounding areas three times a year, you would come, you would make a big thing of it, and you would get on your donkeys and your horses, and you would go to Jerusalem where the temple was, and you would go worship there. Remember Jesus. He was born on his way to one of these feasts, right? Three times a year they went. Mary was probably as pregnant as my wife is today, and probably from, from bouncing on a donkey all the time, that pressure could not hold, and Jesus came. And Jesus was born on their way there for a census then, but they had to travel there a lot, okay? 
So it was central to their, their way of life. That was broken down. And then the second temple was, was built. And this is the one that we see Jesus went to the specific second temple. It was um, built in 520 before Christ. And it was destroyed after Christ's life in about 70 AD. It was significant. So for about a thousand years, the Jews knew that the temple was God's way. It was God's way. And now Jesus comes... And he says, yes, I know, this is like, if you are a Jew, this is like, this is your religion. It's centered around the, the temple. And Jesus comes and he says, if this thing is broken down, it doesn't really matter. I will build it up in three days. How long was Jesus dead before he was resurrected? Three days. He says, I will resurrect it. Like, I will become that temple. How beautiful. So what we see is, the temple, in a sense, was a shadow in the Old Testament of what was to come in the New Testament. Your shadow points to the reality. If I see a shadow on the ground, I know that there's, there's something that resembles that shadow, but the shadow is not the real thing. You get what I'm saying here? We've got this little book that we read with our girls at night, and there's a little mouse with a piece of cheese running away. And then there's the shadow of a cat, but you can't see the cat. But my girls have learned that they say, the cat come, the cat is coming, the cat's coming. How do they know? Because the shadow shows us that the real thing is close by. So the temple in the Old Testament was only a picture and a shadow of what was really to come. And what was really to come was Jesus Christ. He would become what the temple of God was to the Jews. He would become for the Christians today. So we need to look into that. What does that actually mean? What is the temple today? How does it work for us? Firstly, there's two things that I want to look in. I think there's three or four things that it actually means, but I'm going to look at two of them. The first thing is that, as I say, Jesus becomes our temple. Now, this is incredible. When Jesus died, I'm going to read this to you in, in Matthew 27. You can get this ready. When Jesus died, the temple was still there, Right? Because Jesus, it wasn't fulfilled. Jesus had not died and been resurrected yet. He hadn't become the temple yet, but it, it was still there. And I spoke about the holy place and the most holy place, right? And between the, holy and the holies of holies and the holy place, there was a thick curtain that was difficult to get through. But you would go through that one person would go through once a year with sacrifices, go into the very presence of God once a year. This is beautiful. Then Jesus dies on the cross, and I want to read you what happens here. From verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is Jesus dying on the cross. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why from top to bottom? Because if it was man, maybe it could have been pulled from bottom to top. But if it was God tearing that veil right? God tearing it from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. What God does is the moment that Jesus dies, he tears the veil, meaning the presence of God that was only for one person once a year. Jesus goes in there and he releases the presence of God for everyone. Jesus now gives us access to the presence of God. If you give your life to Jesus, 
You can have what the high priest had. You can come into the presence of God. Jesus is now our temple. The temple was the place where you went if you wanted to encounter God. Now I come to Jesus if I want to encounter God. The temple is where I went if I wanted to be cleansed of unrighteousness. Now I come to Jesus to be cleansed of unrighteousness. If I needed forgiveness, I would go buy a dove or I would go buy a sheep. I would come to the temple, sacrifice it, and I would be forgiven. Now what do I do? I come to Jesus. He is the one that forgives. He is the one that sets free. He is the one that cleanses. He is the one that is at the center of my life that I need to come back to again and again. My life needs to be centered around Jesus. Revelation 21 verse 22. This is a vision that John has. And he says, And I saw no temple in the city. No temple. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Jesus is the temple of God. Jesus is the temple of God. Yeah, it's this is beautiful. So the question for us is, if Jesus is, is the new temple, and we are supposed to center our lives around the temple, then are you centering your life around Jesus? What are you primarily, if I were to walk up to you and say, who are you? <laughs> Would you tell me I'm a student, I'm an engineer, <laughs> huh? yeah, that's why you, you're waiting for a BA joke now, it's not going to come. <laughs> um, I'm from this family, I'm a Cape Tonian, I'm a Stellenbosher, I'm a Joe Berger. <laughs> What would you say? Like, what, what are you? I'm broken. If, if I had to look, maybe, maybe you wouldn't say this, but if, if you had to come to me and you had to say, what is, who, who are you on the inside? What, what would you say? What do you take pride in? What is the first thing you would put forward? Some of us, I'm someone who's been hurt. Some of you would put your achievements forward. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a good leader. I'm head boy. I'm, I'm uh, a top achiever. I'm this person's boyfriend. I'm this person's girlfriend. I am the dad or the mother to this person. What is the first thing that you would put forward? Because all of us, if Jesus is central to our life, the first thing that I need to put forward is say, I am one redeemed by Christ. That is my main identity. Everything else falls after that. But my main thing, if I were to walk up to you and say, tell me who you are. I'm someone loved by God. I'm a Christian. That's my main thing. And we tend to drift so quickly from that and put other things before Jesus and make other things central to our lives. But the picture that we see there is when you wake up in the morning, the first thing that you should see is the tent of God, the temple of God, God himself with us. How quickly do we forget that and we, we live in other ways? I'm thinking just of the word that came out um, uh, during the worship of just this emotional healing that God wants to do. You know, some of us, I think when, when, when we think about identity and, and you have to say who you are, I think lots of us would say, this is who I am because of what happened in my past, which is true and valid. A lot of the ways that I act today and ways that I have acted over the years have been because of what happened in my past. I grew up an only child. 
My mom was undiagnosed bipolar. I'm telling you a bit of my story here. My father is and never was really in the picture, right? We grew up financially very unstable. I remember times when it was the second day of the month and there was no money. I remember these things. That, that's my past. It, it's relevant. It shaped the person who I am today. But who I am today, because now I am in Christ, that is not primarily who I am today. Firstly, I am one bought by Jesus. And because I am bought by Jesus, he starts changing those other parts of my life. It's not because I read a self-help book. No, it's not that. It's because now I am his. He is my father. This sounds blasphemous, actually, but to an extent, there's a scripture. I think it's um, uh, one, of the, one of the names of God. I think it's El Shaddai. I'm not sure. Um, I th- El, what, what does El Shaddai mean? Um, hey? God Almighty. It's not El Shaddai. It's um, El. There's one of the names of God that actually means, in the Hebrew, it means God my breast. Because as a child, as a baby, the, the breast is where you get your nourishment, your nutrition, and your life. So in a sense, my identity is no longer I'm one who does not have a mother. God is the one that gives me what a mother should have given me. He's a male, he's father, but he gives me that sense that I should have had from my mother. Is this making sense? Yes, I don't have a father, but God is my father. Because I'm a Christian, I'm in him. Yes, I've been broken, but Jesus is perfect and he restores and he forgives. Place your identity in Him. He's supposed to be the temple. Your life is supposed to be centered around Him. Secondly, I believe the Bible teaches us that the church is also supposed to be the temple. Has replaced the temple. Let's look at Ephesians 2 verse 19 to 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Speaking about those who have been redeemed. Those who are now in Christ. This is for us. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, listen to this, this is speaking about like how we are all built together like the church now, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are the temple, the body of Christ, the church of Christ. We are now the temple as well. In him you are also being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Listen, the church is not perfect. We're not perfect. There's this saying, if you find the perfect church, don't don't join it because you're going to mess it up. And I want to say amen. (laughs) Like, the church is broken because we are broken. Amen? (laughs) That amen wasn't loud enough. You guys need revelation of like... (laughs) How far away we are from like who God wants us to be and who we are in Him. Like the church is broken because we are broken. Like if, you, if you've not been hurt by the church, then uh, just stick around. It'll happen in due time. <laughs> I'm even thinking, I just, I feel convicted so much about my stupid joke in the beginning. I always put my foot in it. I say, God, uh, foot in mouth, uh, foot in mouth disease, basically. I put my foot in my mouth every time. Like I make these stupid jokes and I think for some of you, it was funny in my mind, and then when it came out, so that happens a lot to me. It's in the Bible, <laughs> it's in the Bible that's true. <laughs> There's lots of things that's in the Bible that I should not say out loud. <laughs> but the point is, like, hey guys, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry, and I'm not perfect. 
And I can't tell you how many people have told me to tell better jokes at church, and still I struggle. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm trying my best, but, but I'm imperfect. And even that, I'm thinking tonight, like some of you could have been offended by that. And I'm truly sorry. Like, I don't want to offend you. I'd rather they not tell jokes or, or, or not do something funny if it's going to offend you. Like, that is, that is so far from what I'd want for any of you here today. So in that sense, I'm really sorry. But I, I want to say, like, not to justify that, but I want to say, like, man, I'm not perfect. The leaders here are not perfect. Like, we're trying our best to follow God. We're really trying our best. But what the Scripture says, it says we are being built together. It's not like we have been built together. We are being built together, and we need each one to come with their imperfection and make Jesus their cornerstone, make Jesus the center of their lives. And as we do that, say, now that he is the center of my life, come, let's build ourselves together to make a dwelling place for the Lord. There's a different way in which God comes when his people come together. When we say we want to be a building, we want to be someplace where the Lord can reside, we want to give ourselves to that end. But to do that, we need to say, yes, Jesus is is centered to my life, but his people is also central to my life. Again, thinking of the word in worship, you know where most hurt takes place for individuals, where most brokenness comes from? Take a guess. Other people, family. Family. Like if I tell you some of my issues, (laughs) and there's so many of them still, been serving the Lord since 2007, I don't know how long that is, I Huh? 16 years. Clever. <laughs> Been serving the Lord now for 16 years. Um, and and it's, it's, it's been... A, why am I saying this again? I forgot now. <laughs> family, yes. <laughs> and there's still issues from my family that is, that is still playing out in my life. I'll tell you one quickly. I just... I was actually thinking of sharing it if I was to change my message, but... This will maybe open up lots of conversations, but I'm going to be on paternity leave, so Henry can have all of these conversations with you. <laughs> um, so my mom is, is great. I love it a bit. Since I got saved, God has done a massive work in our relationship. It's from what it was before I got saved, before I gave my life to Jesus, to where it is now. It's totally different, it's like massively different. But my mom was... Uh, bipolar, like, and bipolar disease basically means very up and very down. It, it can go either way. And so uh, growing up in that household, she raised me. I'm an only child. Uh, since I was one, one, they got divorced, so it was just my mom and I. And in that household, when someone is bipolar and they don't know it and they can't be helped, um, I think it was things of the past. It's medication is not the only thing that fixes it. So I think there needs to be holistic um, I'll speak about that now, but actually growing up in that household, it was very unstable in the sense that one day could be good at home and one day could be bad. And so I had to learn as a child, and you don't, no one teaches you this, it's just inherent, you have to learn to be really sensitive to other people's emotions. Because if my mom was in a bad mood, I would have to like hide in my room. If she's in a good mood, I can converse a little bit, but you, you had to be sensitive to the situation. And what that does is, as a, as a young child, if you're still in your formative years, it, it forms you as well. And it actually makes like a crack in you because I'm, uh, uh, your house, your home is supposed to be a safe environment where you can be, where you can be free, and your parents will tell you when you do something wrong. You don't have to smell it. That's, 
That's what it's supposed to be. And it wasn't how I grew up. So I grew up overly sensitive to people's emotions. And so that's, that's quite difficult. And I think what it did in me is um, I think it, it caused me to be an anxious person. And I never knew this. For the longest time, growing up and even coming to, to the Western Cape, I moved here. I didn't know a soul. And it was a very uh, stressful thing, moving here from Joburg and just like coming into a new environment, not knowing anyone yet. It was really stressful. I could pick up in my body that I had little ticks. So my shoulder would go or I would start coughing a little bit. Or There's always these little things that showed me, hey, maybe I've got a little bit of an issue with anxiety. And then our girls were born. And... Um, uh, when they were born, just like sleep went out the window. We have twin girls, and it was, yeah, man, it was hectic. Like, we did not sleep, did not get exercise. It was really stressful. You've got the responsibility of it. And my anxiety just went over the roof. It, like, to a point that sometimes I would almost feel like I'm starting to hyperventilate in a normal situation. My breathing would just get out of control. I don't know if it was the beginning of a panic attack or what it was, but it just started happening physically in my body. I remember once we had a meeting with community leaders at our house, and I sat with the iPad, and we were going through a list of names, making changes in the communities, and I had my iPad plugged in, and from just starting to, it wasn't even a stressful situation, but from getting so tense, I was not able to click on my iPad on some of the names. My hands started shaking so much, and I had to go stand outside, and I just realized, like, something's wrong here, and it's, it's come from my past, Thank God that he revealed how it got there, but it's influencing my present. It really is. Let me say this, uh, just to get back to my thought here. I'm going to explain where I'm at now, because what happened was, eventually, I said, I genuinely need help. I've, I've, went, I've gone to God. I've, I've really tried, and at the moment, I'm still on medication for that. And I'm taking it. I'm really hoping to get off of it, but just my body's struggling to cope with it. Some of you think medication is from the devil. I don't completely agree. Um, some of you think it's, it's the savior. I don't completely agree. Like, I don't agree with either one of those. I think there's a right place at times, but it must be part of the solution. It can't be the solution. Uh, I, I think the, my stuff is not from having babies. It's from the way that I grew up. Does that make sense? So it's not from not sleeping. Like, it needs to be realistic. I need to keep bringing it before the Lord. And so I want to say, like, the reason I'm saying this is my issues, those things, this is one of the areas that I'm still really broken in, and I'm trying to find the Lord in with this thing of anxiety. Where that came from is family. You know where issues come from family? You know where they get fixed? Family. Mostly comes from family, mostly gets fixed within family. Yes, Jesus, but also Jesus' body. It's his family. And so I've been walking a road with people. I'm like the medication is helping me for a time just to get my breathing under control because I'm really struggling. But I know that while I'm on it, I need to be reaching out to the body of Christ. I need to immerse myself in the body of Christ and in Jesus Christ. And say, Jesus, help me here, please. I don't want this. Like, help me to cast my anxiety on you. That's what the Bible teaches. But then also, you've given me people around me to love me, to support me, to help me, to pray for me, and I need to bring myself into the body of Christ as well. Am I making sense here? So the temple for thousands of years was, was central, but it's still central today. Like we need to learn how to bring our full life into the temple. 
our full life into Jesus, not just part, our full lives into the people of God, which is His church, which plays out through the local church. This is not just supposed to be a part of your life. It is supposed to be central in your life. Not many churches are going to teach you this. Churches have wonderful programs and you come for what you want and then you go home. We don't want to be that type of church because it's not what I think the temple means. I think the temple means it is central to your life. You give yourself to it fully. It is the people of God. So you've got exams. Yes, wonderful, good. There's going to be sometimes when your exams are pressing. And I'm not saying that you can never miss church things. I'm saying, is your heart always to be there? Even if your bum can't be there, Mike Davies says, is your heart to be there? Because if, if, if my heart wants to be there, I will make a plan when I can. But our heart needs to be, I want to be with the people of God. Not only to receive, but also to give. Because if you don't give what God has given you to give, then we lose out. You might be someone else's breakthrough. Because God has given you a specific thing, a specific part. As we are living stones being built together, you might be that stone that needs to be built with that person to bring them in what God has for them. But you think, oh, I'll put my life in Jesus, but I won't put my life in, into his people. And it's so bad because today, like, we don't like this thing of commitments. And all some of you are hearing is commitments. Like, I'm not saying commit to Josh Jen. It's not about that. It's committing to Jesus and committing to his church, which plays out through the local church, which for many of you will be Josh Jen. But it's not about the name. We can throw away the name Josh Jen. We don't care. It's not what this is about. It's about what the Bible teaches us. I give myself to the church of God. It is also central to my life. I think I'm going to actually end there. Let's stand.